Good morning, everyone, and uh, my name is Daniel, but I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to open the scriptures together with you this morning and to continue our journey. This was indeed a difficult week, uh, as you maybe saw on the news, there was a, a truck, a semi-truck driving in France, an attack of the military attempted to take control in Turkey, and there were victims, at least 84 innocent bystanders in France, people who were celebrating what we here have July the 4th, right? Uh, and they were by the sea, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, on one of those roads that were closed for cars and open for pedestrians, and they were just watching the, the fireworks when, uh, when this truck came and destroyed their lives and killed them. Innocent bystanders. And this morning, we can definitely say that we live in a turbulent, violent, confusing world because we don't know where we are heading. And it's not new. What I'm trying to say is it's not new. It's not something that it only happens now. And as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis, this morning we arrived in chapter 14. Chapter 14 in the book of Genesis talks about a war. In fact, is the first, the first mentioned war in the Bible. It doesn't have to be, and it's not the first war in our human history, but it is the first war that is mentioned in the Bible. And uh, the thing is, when we say war, some of you, maybe ladies or women and girls, they you say, oh, I'm not interested. It's almost like, you know, in our family, when we decide what family we are going to, I mean, as a family, what movie we are going to watch, me and David, my son, we kind of like, you know, Rambo-style movies and Stuff like that, you know, Black Hawk Down and, and these Avengers and stuff like that. And, you know, my wife and, and daughter, they, they love something like a love story and maybe a comedy or something that is, you know, for girls. And, and we have a hard time. You almost want to say, okay, you go to your movie and we go to our movie. How about that? But I want you ladies to be patient with us this morning, not to check out to say, well, if this is the movie about war, chapter 14, then I will see you at 12, you know. Don't check out. Stay with us. Uh, I plead for your patience. And I hope that we will all learn a little bit about this uh, chapter and this phase in the life of uh, God's salvation. Although it's about war in the heat of the battle, you might be uh, interested to, uh, to learn a few things. You know, there's this last... Uh, we, we, I mean, we also like games, right? Man, we like games that are about war. There's a game that everybody's interested in lately. It's called Pokemon, right? And it's not about war, but they have these Pokemon stops, Poke stops. And do you know that there is one of those stops everybody's involved in? And if you, if, you, if you don't, basically the game makes you walk. You know, if you don't like to run or walk, you know, this makes you walk outside, you know. And there's a Poke stop here by Hillside. You know, if you look at your, your app, it looks like that. And, and you see people even... Yesterday in, in, at night, you know, you'll see just a car drive by here and just slow down and maybe 15, 20 seconds, then they leave because they want to do something, you know. And on their app, I think, the game looks like this, you know, it looks like Hillside is there. We have a Pokemon stop and they want to do something. They want to capture a Pokemon. The, the, the reason they come here is because they want to capture a Pokemon, right, I guess, you know. And uh, capture, capturing captives is also a theme that we will see in our, um, in our study, in our text this morning. And when you start to read this text this morning, it's almost like, it almost like sends you back to 
the Lord of the Rings because there are so many confusing names. And through this chapter 14, the first half is just confusing. If you read it, the first time you say, what on earth is going on here? And I will just invite you to read with me just the two verses, okay? No, I'm not, not confusing, but just two verses, just to see how it is, okay? We'll see how it goes. I really wanted to punish one of you and say, would you read the text for me this morning? But I said, wow, this is complicated, you know? So <clears throat> it says like this, at the time when Ara Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings went to war. These are four kings. They went to war against five. Against Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shember, Shemeber, king of Ziboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And uh, the story continues like that, just with names and, and places, and it's so complicated. But the idea is that if you think about this war, you know, think, think about human history. It's the first war, but if you think about human history, the timeline, timeline of human history, from creation to consummation, to the new earth, you know, there is this timeline on which world events happen. And we have, I would say, two levels, you know, or two threads here. On one level, we have the world history. These are the events, all of the events that happen in our world history and all of the people that live, you know, whatever happens in our creation on earth and in our universe. But then on a higher level, there is this salvation history and it's God's acting in our human history. And he sometimes pulls out some events. I will just give you an example. For example, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire extended for a long period of time, many hundreds of years. But one of the key elements that, that God elects to use the Roman Empire is to send Jesus to us. He was born, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected during the Roman Empire at some port, point in time. So he was part of human history, and yet God used him in salvation history, bring salvation to us. The same thing in Genesis 14. There were many wars in that time, you know, and this is, uh, this is the, the fact of human history. Like today, we have attacks, we have wars. And the same was then. But God uses this war to mention the first war in the Bible. And the only reason, I think, is because there was a person there, Lot, that was involved. And he wasn't one of the main characters in the war, in fact. He was a bystander. He was just sitting there. He was in a city that happened to go to war. And sometimes in our lives, you know, we, uh, we end up in a war, in a situation that we didn't choose. Many things in our life we didn't choose, you know. We say, well, I'm just living the life. And suddenly we find ourselves in the middle of a war. But many things we didn't choose for us. We didn't choose to be Dutch, right? Did God ask you before you were born, hey, do you want to be born in the, the, the Jaeger family, Right? Or, you know, we never, we never chose the color of our hair. We, we never chose the color of our skin. We never said to God, I want to have this color eyes. You know, I want to have this, this type of, uh, this, you know, like the Dutch, right? They have like 15, you know, size for their feet, you know, my shoes, you know. You never know. You think when you live in Romania, you think you are tall, you know, until you come 
and live among the Dutch, you know. <laughs> then you realize how small you are, how short you are, right? But, but the thing is, we don't choose those things. We don't choose things like that. There are many things we don't choose in life. And we don't choose in life our family. We don't say, well, I, I want to be born in a poor family. Or I want to, bore, to be born in, in, in a good family or in a wealthy family. You are not choosing all of these things. There are some, thing, there are some things that you can choose, though. Maybe you can choose your school, the school where you want to go. Maybe your career, your spouse. And hopefully you choose your God, the faith that you want to embrace, the God you want to love. These are things that you can choose. And that's what this morning we did with our kids, you know, that we baptized. We say, we want you, when you can later on understand more, you will look back at this day and you will choose God. He makes a promise to love you. And he wants you to respond in love. And once you grow in understanding, you will respond to him in love because you want to choose him. And those are some things that we choose. And hopefully, as a church, we will continue to encourage people to choose God. And that's why we are here this morning. Because we want Jesus to be known. And we want Jesus to be the choice of as many people as we can. And this morning, we also have to recognize that we don't choose the disasters in our lives. I mean, if you're, you know, Jeannie, let's take Jeannie. She's 12 years old and the father says, you know, uh, I'm picking you up today, but you won't go home because mom and I are separating. I will take you to the place where I will live. I will not be leaving home. You know, she didn't choose, you know, it wasn't her choice. The fact that she was born in a family that is, is falling apart, right? It wasn't her choice. It wasn't her choice to go to school and find that she has to face a bully every day. It can be a physical bully or an emotional bully. Other girls just picking on her on the hallways or in the classroom. And many of the wars in which we are involved are not our fault. But the truth is that everyone is involved in a fight, in a battle. From the moment we come into this world, you know, what's interesting is we don't come laughing, Right? How is a baby being born? What do we want to hear? And that's true for every culture. We want to hear the cry. If the baby is not crying, it's not some, something is wrong, we say, right? It's not good. But we are born in this war, in this war-torn life. The human life, once, once we are in it, part of it, is going to throw a lot of storms, a lot of waves, a lot of things at us. It's not going to be easy all the time. And many of the wars in which we are going to be pushed are not caused by our own. We didn't choose them. You might also look at uh, 10, 15, 20 pills and you say, Lord, I didn't choose to, to need to take this every day. I'm just putting here, this is for Monday. This is for Tuesday. But these are so many. Many of the things we didn't, we fight, we didn't choose. We didn't choose this IV that we need, this chemo for our, for our parents or for our spouse or for our kid. And we say, Lord, how, how is my kid going to survive? Why did our, why is our, why is, why is my family involved in this battle? Why do I fight this battle? I didn't choose this battle. I didn't pick it. Why is my spouse fighting this disease? It's a horrible disease. We never chose to fight this, but we have to. So this morning we are going to learn three things, I guess, from our text. And the first is that in any, in the heat of the battle, you will find victims. 
And in our text, there is a victim. The second thing is, there is a rescuer. There is a rescuer. And the final thing, the third thing is that we have to bring praise to God. Praise to God. But let's look at the victim. The thing is, in most wars, and this is a fact, I think, in most wars, civilians, innocent bystanders, are the most casualties, the highest number of casualties. You might think, well, it's just soldiers. No, if you look, if you look seriously and you study, there are many wars in which civilians pay the highest price. They are people who have nothing to do with the war. They are not fighting. They are not picking up guns. They are just living their lives. And their life is taken away as a price. We call that, a lot of times, we call it collateral damage. It wasn't intended for them, that bomb. That arrow wasn't intended to hit them, or that explosive, you know, the rocket wasn't intended to hit the, the store in which they lived. So the same thing here, we will see that there is a victim. And what happens in our book is that we have these two heroes that are not involved in the war. You know, on one side of the Jordan River, we think is Abraham, and Pastor Don talked about that last time, when they split, right? Last Sunday they split, that's chapter 13. Lot chooses to cross the Jordan River because he saw the beautiful green plains of the Jordan River. And the thing is, there are four kings, four kings. And what's interesting is, even in that time, these four kings are in Iraq, Iran, Syria, and today's Turkey. That's almost like ironic, right? Last, last week, the, the events in Turkey now, it's, it's very close. And these four kings control that vast area of land. But there is this king's highway. There is a commercial highway, very wealthy uh, highway that produces wealthy cities. And it goes to the south. It's called Transjordan or Transjordania. And it's on the other side of the Jordan River where Abraham lives. He lives on the shore on the Mediterranean Sea, sort of, on that side of the Jordan River and in the mountains. And on the other side is this, and you can see it, that, that line that goes down, you know. That's a highway. It's called King's Highway. It's like a commercial route that, that links the east and the west and, and sends goods from Egypt to, to the Middle East and then up in Europe and in Asia. And these four kings, these four kings for many years now, they have tried to control the five kings that are in that area in Transjordan. And they control them for a number of years. And what's interesting is the, the city states of Sodom and Gomorrah are there. So they have five kings, and yet there are these kings on top of them. So these five kings pay tribute to the four kings. For 12 years, these five kings pay tribute to the four kings in the north. But in the 13th year, they stop paying tribute. And that's where kind of our story happens. That's where it picks it up. And says, when they stopped paying tribute, the four kings are taking action. They were paying tribute maybe with Barley, vegetables, cattle, gold, silver, sheep, whatever. Sometimes slaves, human slaves, labor slaves, sex slaves. I can relate to that. In my country, Romania, we fought with what we call the Muslims, but the Ottoman Empire for 800 years. 800 years. And we were like that. We were paying tribute many times because we lost wars. They were a big empire. We never became, though, Muslim. We kept our Christian faith, the Eastern Orthodox faith, the Christian faith. But many of our sons and daughters were sent to either fight for them to become 
uh, army and personnel in, in their army and fighters or our girls went to marry them and stuff like that. And that's what happens here. The, the four kings says no more. We stop everything. We are not going to pay you everything. You are not going to get our gold. You are not going to get our sons or daughters. You are not going to get anything from us because we are done with this. And in verse 10, the verse the verse 10 basically picks up this battle. And it's a battle. It's a response. It's a, it's a forceful response of the four kings. They come back, and this is what they do. Now the valley, now the valley of Sidim, this is the valley that is there, was full of tar pits. This is bitumen. It was a valley full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. When the four kings come and battle, Sodom and Gomorrah are not prepared for battle. In fact, their strategy is running. And as they are running, they know this is their territory. This is their country. They have to defend their land. And yet, they are so confused. And in chapter 13, the Bible tells us that they were wicked. And they did evil things. That They are so confused that they fall into their own tar pits. And the rest of them who don't fall, they just flee to the hills. They are not prepared for war. Because if you think of it, the rule number one is don't kill yourself in a war, right? I mean, don't get into a situation you cannot fight. And the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. We have that saying, to the victors belong the spoils, right? And that's what it is. They can say, you, you are not paying tribute. Yeah, we're going to take it. And they do come and take it. And uh, so what happens is they establish control again over that region and also over Sodom. And here our story is moving from, I would say, world history again to salvation history. Because there is an interesting thing. It's an interesting verse. And this is the verse. And they also carried off. Somebody was in the Sodom. Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions. Since or because he was living in Sodom. Why was Lot living in Sodom? In chapter 13, Pastor Ron preached last week that Lot set up his tent outside of Sodom. You see, in chapter 13, Lot lives in the suburbs. He looks at the city. It's a beautiful city. But he said, I'm going to be settled here in the fields. I'm going to set my, my tent here outside the city. But by chapter 14, he moves himself and his family inside the city. The city that was wicked. The city that, it, that was corrupted, that did evil things. But he moves his family inside the city. So when the city is losing the war, and they take the plunder, he's just one of those. Maybe if he would have been outside, he would have had army and, and friends to help him. And soldiers, and you know, because he had a lot of people, right? That's why he was splitting from Abraham, because there were too many of them. So, in chapter 14, he lives in the city, and he is taken captive. He is a victim of a war he didn't pick. He didn't choose this war. He was just sitting there. And the truth is that we, maybe the lesson is that we too, like... Like this innocent bystander sometimes falling through a war that is not our own. We didn't pick that war. But we need a rescuer. We need a rescuer. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
there was Lot. And his family pays the price. But there's a rescuer. The story goes on. It says there's a rescuer there. And you say, who is the rescuer? Well, a man who had escaped came and reported to Abraham, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshkol, and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. There is a man who escapes. And when Abraham heard this, that his relative had been taken captain, he called out 318 trained men born in his household. And went in pursuit so far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided the men to attack them. And he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. For about 100 miles. Can you imagine Abraham? For about 100 miles, he pursues the enemy. He is 75 at least, maybe 80 years old. Can you imagine him settling maybe on a camel or a horse? You know, in this, in this painting, he's on a horse. And he uses the cover of the night to take his enemy by surprise. But can you imagine after riding 100 miles being able to fight? And yet he does that. He is the rescuer of Lot. He is not trained to be uh, a fighter. Abraham is not a king. He doesn't have a kingdom. He doesn't have a country. And he says he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possession together with the woman and the other people. He is indeed the rescuer. Who responded to God's call. And sometimes there are these wars, just wars, I will say. Just causes that you just have to jump in and save somebody. It can be somebody that is sick. And maybe you cannot heal them, but you can be there with them. It can be somebody who is struggling with an addiction. It could be somebody who is struggling with a sin in their life. And the Bible says that we should be those who go and pull them out. Even if we have to, to pull them out just as if they were in a fire. Make sure that you save them, and we save them, and Abraham saves them. And it's interesting that as he comes back victorious, there is a praise that is lifted up. Look what happens. There is a person that comes, welcomes this victor Abraham, and says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God, most high, and he blessed Abraham. He comes and he blessed Abraham. The first fulfillment of the promise that you, Abraham, will be a blessing. You will be blessed, and you will be all nations, all families of the earth will be blessed in you. And it says, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tent that is 10% of everything. And this is a painting, you know. Uh, Melchizedek is, is a hero there that welcomes this bigger hero, Abraham. And yet Melchizedek welcomes him, like with the royal, with, with wine and bread, bread and wine, you know, and says, welcome. And it's interesting that Melchizedek is used in the Bible, and the explanation is more likely in Hebrews 7, and, and I would like you to read a few verses. Just pay attention. First, the name of Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So this guy comes, king of righteousness. Then also is king of Salem, which means king of peace. King of righteousness in the city of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. He's not the Son of God, although something that he is, but he's, the Hebrew says, resembling the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. Now just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tent of the plunder. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. Why is that important? Because yet he collected a tent from Abraham. And bless him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser, that is Abraham, is blessed by the greater. Somehow he is greater than Abraham. 
Because, he says, if, the perfect, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. The thing is, in the law, the law comes like half a century later, well, four or five hundred centuries later. And Moses gives this you know, instructions to the people through, and God through him and says, you know, if you want to be a priest, you have to come from Levi. You have to be in, the, in, in, that, in that tribe of Levi. And then here is Melchizedek who says you are a priest forever in a different order. It's not from Levi. It's a different order, the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 is the third place in the Bible where Melchizedek is mentioned. And this is, this is how Hebrews explains. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. So he wasn't from Levi. He was from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses says nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. If you want to become a priest, you have to come from Levi. And if you want to become a king, you have to come from Judah. Jesus come from Judah, so how can he be a priest? There is this wall of separation in, in, in Judaism, right? In the law. They say you cannot be both because you can only come from one tribe. And yet, through Melchizedek, to this order that is superior to Levi, Jesus becomes our high priest. Because he is high priest, not through the ancestry, not through his family tree, but through this oath of Melchizedek. And that's why he is our high priest. And in Hebrews basically says, Jesus is different than all of the Levites because they had to bring first a sacrifice for their own sins. And Jesus is the person, the Levite, the high priest, who has no sins. He doesn't have to bring any sacrifice for himself. The only sacrifice he brings is his own body. A sacrifice for you and for me. And that's what Jesus offers to us. He says, I, I brought myself as a sacrifice, but for you, not for me. And he becomes our king because he wants to rule us as he comes from Judah. So if this morning, in conclusion, I say, if you feel that you are a victim, if you feel that you are part of a war that is not your own, if you feel that you fight a battle, you say, I didn't choose it. I didn't choose this battle, but I'm in the midst of it. I want you to remember that Jesus knows about it. He knows about it. In fact, Hebrew says... That he is in heaven interceding for all of us. That's why he is the high priest. According to the order of Melchizedek. So that he can stand at the right hand of God. And intercede, pray for us. Root for us. Cheer for us. So that we can stay faithful and strong. So if you find yourself in a battle. Make sure that you remember Jesus knows about it. He knows about your battle. And if you say, well Lord, I'm not in a battle myself. But I know this person, this family is in a battle. Then what stops you from becoming a rescue? Why don't you receive Jesus' call today to be like Abraham? He didn't have a big army. He was a small army, little resources. But he said, Lord, this is my nephew. Who is your nephew? Maybe you have a nephew that is in a battle, that is captive. That is, maybe his, his entire family needs real rescue. And you can do something about it. Maybe you, the only thing you can do is pray. Or maybe the only thing is you can call them and talk to them and be with them. Or maybe the only thing is then you can just go and help them to fight this. 
But don't hesitate to allow God to use you as a rescuer. Because in the end, it's not you, you who rescue people, but it is God. That's what Melchizedek's message to Abraham is, you know, give praise to God. And that's what we do today, give praise to Jesus. Because in the end, the delivery comes from the God Most High. He uses us, and that's our privilege, to be used as rescuers. But the, the deliverance comes from Him. And that's what we learned this morning. That whether or not we are in a battle, God knows about it. And whether or not we are, feel strong, God wants to use us. As a rescuer, so that he and his power can be praised. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this lesson this morning, for these babies that were baptized in your name. And we give you thanks that you promised to them that you will be the deliverer. And we ask this morning that you will continue to encourage us to use our voices, our little resources, to defend those who are in battles as innocent bystanders. Help us to be those people that rescue others and offer our lives so that they can leave. We pray for those who are in battles. They will be assured of your presence, of your knowledge of their battle. And they will feel that you also intercede for them, that you fight for them. And in the end, we want all as a church to give you praise because the victory, the deliverance is yours. And indeed, you are our shield. In you we trust. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and receive the greeting of this Lord. The Lord who is victorious and gives us strength and victory. The Lord who knows each and everyone's battle. He sends us with his grace. And if you desire to pray with somebody, there's a prayer room here to my right. Make sure you use that. But as we leave this place, may the love of God the Father, the knowledge that Jesus Christ is with you, And the power of this Holy Spirit empower you to live a life in the awareness that he gives you victory and power to praise him. Amen. You may go in peace.